When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and a great show is lined up today. We've got a very special guest, Jamal Wilberg, on, and we're going to talk about uh, the Rays clinching the American League East and what that means for the franchise. We'll touch a little bit about the uh, on the Kevin Kiermaier Blue Jays card-stealing scandal, even though now it just feels like it's all agua under the bridge. And then uh, we'll, we'll each raise our voices about the uh, situation regarding the Montreal Sister City plan and the sign that the team plans to unveil uh, at the beginning of the postseason. But Jamal, thank you for joining me. Yeah, Brett, happy to be here anytime. And uh, Jamal, you you were at these last two games this weekend, the, the clincher on Saturday and then the series finale against Miami. Were you at every game of the season series between the Rays and Marlins this year? Almost, yeah. I was in Miami for opening day for the first two. So the first two and the last two, and then missed the the third one in, in each in each grouping. But yeah, four out of the six. As I was saying, I know I had you on after opening weekend uh, when you were down at Marlins Park. I got to ask you, what, what was it like? What was the atmosphere like in front of a sellout crowd when the Rays clinched the American League East for the second consecutive year, something that's never been done in franchise history? Yeah, no, it was it was incredible. And I think the the best way that I can frame it is – it was almost like game 162 light. Like there are a lot of parallels between the two. Um, It's like, if you go to the mall, instead of getting the full bourbon chicken meal, it was like the bourbon chicken on a toothpick, right? Because game 162, which we're coming up on it being 10 years ago, uh, was the final home game of the season. Also the final game of the season, this clinching was the game before the final home game of the season. Both include a lot of scoreboard watching. So of looking for a Red Sox loss. So everyone's in there like, hey, are the Red Sox losing? Are the Red Sox losing in both? And then you see that the Yankees pull it off. Um, and then just the idea of, you know, clinching. We already clinched the postseason, which makes this one a little different. So it's not like if we don't pull this off, there's no hope. It's just sort of everyone's expecting the division title, but really hoping it happens tonight while they're in this ballpark and while they're watching it. And I think the only other thing that's different is beating the Marlins isn't as fun as beating the Yankees. And so that will always give that game 162 that sense. And and it was weird seeing people. It's not weird seeing people in the trop with Yankees gear because it it happens. It's happening less often now than it used to. But seeing those people be accepted. So walking through, I remember being in the draft room and there was a, a fan in there in his Yankee gear and uh, people were saying, hey, you guys going to pull it off tonight or all these other things, which <laughs> isn't the normal cordial activities you see. But no, the, the atmosphere was there. The, the, the crowd was definitely pulling forward and excited to see the win uh, at the end. Yeah, and you you mentioned some of the the game one sixty two parallels. Yeah, I remember you know being I, w- I wasn't there for game one sixty two, but you always see the shots of the scoreboard uh, up in the left field corner that shows the little tiny scores in the box there. And I I saw some some clips of that from from Saturday's game as well. And, and it being a sellout crowd is huge. I, I think it was their f- first true sellout of the season. Obviously, opening day they couldn't do a true sellout with with COVID restrictions. Uh, it'll be interesting to see like what they do for the postseason. 
I don't know if they're going to open the the upper deck. I know they did it in 2019. They are. Okay, so that's already been announced. From what I've seen, it's going to be open. I forgot where I saw it. I saw something that mentioned 300 level seats. I wonder if they'll pull the tarps back as well. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe maybe depending on on how far they get in October. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about what it means for for this franchise uh, to win this division a second consecutive year. Last year, I don't think we I don't think we we talk about enough how impressive it was. Not only they won the division, but they won it by seven games in a sixty game season. Um, I predicted that nobody was going to win their division by five games or more last year, except for the Dodgers and the Rays and Dodgers both did it. Um, in, in that shortened 2020 season. Actually, I don't even know if the Dodgers did it. The Padres might have been within five games. Uh, but this year they do it, and right now the uh, it's an eight-and-a-half game lead in the division. What does it mean for this franchise to, to, to pull off another division title like that so comfortably? I think it just means a lot. It means that everything that this franchise does and the way that they uh, build the teams, I mean, especially with all the injuries, if you would have said that, losing Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, and then you lose Tyler Glass now, and this team makes the postseason. Like that by itself coming into the season would have sounded like a great feat, even not counting all the other injuries that they've had to to, to players and, and pitchers. But to go through all that, win the division, win it with so much time still left in the season, while there's still three other teams in the division that, will likely, you know, have a path to winning 90 games or more. So it's not like other teams fell apart in the race, just won their way in. There are four solid teams in this division and you win it. I think it's just a true testament to, you know, what they're building and everyone from scouting to to coaching and player development all the way up to the big league club. I, I think with the Rays, and I'm definitely guilty of this, uh, we talk a lot about Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder and all the work they do. We talk about Eric Neander and, oh, how does he keep finding these guys? And we often, when talking about the Rays and celebrating the Rays, forget about the accomplishments of the players on the field. And and this is truly not a Rays team, a scrappy Rays team built of players off the scrap heap that put together that went on a great run. This is a team of, of, of stud players. You look from, from guys like Randy Rosarain, and I've often said when fully healthy, the quote-unquote weakest link on the position player side of things might be Brett Phillips. And that's really unfair to Brett Phillips to call him the worst player on any roster with what he brings on the field, on the base pass. And this year, he's had a great season at the plate in terms of power. He's brought a lot of power, including a couple of grand slams. Uh, the, he, he really is a, a very valuable player that would play a lot more for a lot of other teams, but to have him as your your maybe the last man on your bench is is it's really impressive, and it shows that these players have really put together a, a great season. Guys like Joey Wendell, Mike Zanino, maybe having the best season of his career. Uh, you look at the pitcher, the pitching side of things. Shane McClanahan, a rookie, doing as well as he has, and from top to bottom, the players have put together a really good season. I think oftentimes they can be forgotten by the national media too. They'll talk about how the Rays keep building these winning teams, but the players actually have to go out there on the field and win it themselves. And and that they have so far almost to the point where they've secured a number one seed in the American league. As of the time of recording, uh, the magic numbers one and the team that's chasing them, they play this week. Uh, All it takes is one win in that series and the Rays will have clinched the uh, number one seed in the American League, which means home field for the first two series of the postseason. Uh, and you get to play the wild card winner, which might be a good thing, might be a bad thing. Uh, 
<laughs> Jamal, if you had if you had your pick of the litter, who would you want the Rays to face in the ALDS, assuming they lock up the number one seed? The Yankees. I think. I think. I mean, it's the the Red Sox have have gave the Rays some trouble early in the season. Yet things got a little bit different as it, the season went on. But uh, I think the Rays overall have had it with had the Yankees number throughout the season. I think it's the team probably have the most confidence to, you know, if it's the, the Red Sox and those, those concerns are there. If the blue Jays make their way up and, and get that wild card and then move forward, that lineup can, you know, put football scores up on, on the scoreboard pretty quickly if they want to, and, you know, don't want to run into them if they get hot. So I think it's the, uh, the Yankees would be my preferred choice. I, I think the Rays, and I, I say I say this, given the way these teams have played, we know how these teams are built, I would pick the Rays against the Yankees in a five-game series most times. Uh, you run that through a simulation, I think the Rays end up winning that series more times than not. However, something about the Yankees, and maybe it's something I just need to get over, uh, I cannot stand the idea of playing them in a playoff series. I've talked about it on this podcast Playing in that ALDS last year against the Yankees, uh, I lost a ton of sleep, and that's probably something as a fan I need to get over. Uh, but I, I, I worry about playing the Yankees in the ALDS, not out of uh, not out of based on anything on the field. I mean, if Seattle or Oakland could sneak in, I know Seattle's given us a hard time. Uh, that would be really great. I think uh, if we get to play one of them, Toronto. Even though we just handled business against them, and we'll talk more about that series after the break. Uh, Robbie Ray, I don't know. I get this weird like Cliff Lee vibe from Robbie Ray that he's just going to mow us down in the ALDS if that's the team we face. I hope not. We'll see. We can obviously hit against Robbie Ray and we can we can beat the Blue Jays. Out of the AL East teams, I think Boston would be the team I play. I think the Rays match up really well against Boston. If they have two left-handed starters in their rotation, maybe three, you could throw a Jordan Luplo on the roster. I think that really helps the team versus left-handed pitching. We know, obviously, it helps having Wander Franco and Nelson Cruz back in the lineup every day. They're getting their rest in now, getting ready for this postseason, making sure their bodies are ready. If I had to pick... I would say Boston. I think they have a much better defense. I think they've got a pitching staff to match, and they've hit better than Boston all year. And it's been a long time since the Rays played the Red Sox in 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 the, in the playoffs. It's been almost ten years, I think. Was it twenty thirteen? Was the last time? Um, so it would be it would be fun. It would, and I think either way, I think the Rays should have the confidence as they go in there. They've, they've played well against both these teams. And, and again, having the home field for, for if it comes down to a deciding game five, you know, gives the edge, the Rays that additional edge at the end. And uh, you look at the schedule this week, and I don't think you could have like fallen any better for baseball fans that are kind of, you know, maybe the people that have the MLB TV package and they can keep their eyes peeled on what's happening around the league. The Yankees in Toronto, they have a series this week in Canada. Uh, you look at over on the National League side, Philadelphia and Atlanta battling for that NL East. The Phillies are red hot. They got shut up by the Pirates today, but they have a chance to bounce back and, and really take hold of that division. Um, you've got San Diego and the Dodgers playing. San Diego's eliminated, but Dodgers are fighting for the division. And one of those teams, either San Francisco or L.A., is going to have to face a red-hot Cardinals team. Uh, and then Seattle and Oakland, the two teams that are, you know, the good chance neither of them make it. But if one of them wants to keep their name in the conversation, you're probably going to have to see a sweep in that series. Uh, there's a lot of exciting matchups this week. And for the Rays, too. Like, they get the Astros and Yankees, two likely postseason teams. And I'm, you know, uh, even though the Rays have everything locked up that they need to lock up except for the number one seed, and statistically it seems very likely that they will do so, uh, 
it's it's interesting to see what they bring to the table this week, how they manage the pitching, because baseball is an interesting sport. It's not like the NFL when you can rest your quarterback week 17 or I guess now week 18 going into the playoffs just to keep his legs healthy. You want to keep your pitchers on the same schedule that they've been on in all season. You can limit their innings. But pitching is a very, uh, you know, you're very routine oriented. You do not want to throw these guys off their game because the postseason already is going to change their schedules up. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the Rays do, how they manage their pitching. They got Josh Fleming up. I, I'm curious if they use him maybe with more length, try to get three or four innings out of him when he pitches, or if he goes to this one or two inning role, which might give him a spot on the playoff roster. And it's going to be a really fun game. You know, you get to see Houston, who I, if um, for my money, that would be the ALCS matchup, given how things are going to shake out in the postseason. Uh, but it's going to be a fun set of games. And, and now the Rays are really just trying to break a franchise, another franchise record and win at least 98 games. It would be nice to see them get to 100, though. It would. I, th- I think 100's got to be the goal. And I think that. I think having that as a meaningful goal also helps keep that rhythm that you were just talking about with the players and whether it's, you know, the pitchers trying to go out there and and get, get the game going in the bullpen, keep them in in the right rotation, because here's something that we're trying to accomplish as a team. And otherwise it's just filling games towards the end, especially once you lock in the, uh, the number one seed. But if you've got something like a hundred wins to go for, you can still keep that in the game plan. even though, you know, you know, health and, and keeping the road, keeping everyone uh, prepared for the postseason is the most important thing. Um, it's something tangible to work for. And, you know, today's game, just Sunday's game, you're coming off a division, you, a division clincher. It wouldn't have shocked me if the Rays lost today. It wouldn't have shocked me if they got beat pretty easily today. Some people like to call it the hangover game. And I know it was close. I know it got sketchy towards the end, but they still played really good baseball and ended up winning another game. It doesn't look like the Rays are resting on their laurels. And they understand that, yeah, you don't want to back into the postseason. It's already been a somewhat rough September, but they seem to really be picking up steam once again. Obviously, adding Wander Franco to the lineup helps. Uh, Shane Boz. Can we talk about Shane Boz before we go to break? I mean, through one start, incredible. You got to see him live and in person today. I mean, how electric was his stuff? I mean, it was it, it was incredible. And it- it's hard to to really frame it around the idea that this is the guy that was the player to be named <laughs> yeah. later in the uh, Chris Archer trade, right, years ago. And so for him to just – it was just disgusting the way that he was just taking down batters, right? He just goes up just over five, you know, five and two-thirds innings, only gave up the three hits. He was going forever. Didn't look like he was going to give up a walk at all. And then he finally got one through there and just struck out nine. I mean, but – it wasn't just the the performance. It just, he looked unhittable. He just looked like there was nothing that, you know, the Marlins hitters could do that was going to get to him. And I I just can't, it's hard to believe, right? Because it seems like everything, any knock on Boz's game that we heard as, you know, through his time as a prospect and no prospect is perfect except for Wander Franco. Uh, it, it seems like he's gotten rid of everything that was ever ne- said negatively about him. We talked about that. The command looks out of this world. He pitches with ease. I think from some race circles, we're hearing some Matt Moore comps. We remember how just composed Matt Moore looked on a big league mound when he came up and how effective he was, how effortless his delivery looked. Shane Boss throwing 98 today with just an effortless windup. 
really excited. I've kind of gone back and forth. Obviously, before Tyler Glass and I went down, it was clear he was going to be the Rays, quote-unquote, horse uh, through the rest of the season and the postseason. And then it's like, oh, who's going to take up that mantle? Is it going to be, you know, Rich Hill had just come off a really great month of May? Is he going to be able to do that the whole season? You've got Shane McClanahan, who's looked really good to start the year. We still have Luis Patino. We have no idea what we're going to get out of him. Ryan Yarbrough, is he going to be effective out of years past? And I think Shane McClanahan definitely grabbed a hold of that as he was going to be the guy, or at least the guy that you relied on the most through the postseason. But now, I mean, Shane Boss, there's another wrinkle in that. Like, if there was a Game 7 tomorrow, who are you most confident in on the mound? I really don't know the answer with, with how Shane Boss has looked. And it's been two games, but, I mean, it's 10 and two-thirds innings, and he's just been un, absolutely unhittable. Yeah, and, and two games when your first one's up, it was up against the Blue Jays lineup that, right. again, is so so dangerous in that first inning of his career against that lineup, two strikeouts. And then when you look at, I saw, you know, Ray's metrics had posted earlier today, uh, 72% strike rate in his first two starts combined. And so, yeah, at some point, you know, someone will figure out a way to get to him, but there's definitely a level of confidence right now with, with him on the mound and a pitcher that a lot of these uh, players haven't seen. Yeah, and it's, uh, he's definitely secured his spot on the postseason roster. He wouldn't be up here on this team right now if the, he wasn't in the plans for the postseason. And it'll be interesting to see. And I think we'll get another clue this week of kind of who are going to be the odd men out when it comes to making that postseason pitching staff. Before we go to break, uh, real quick, Darby and I were talking right before uh, we started recording this podcast and, and what we want the win total to be. And 100 would be nice. But we talk about the number 98 and how special that is in, in Ray's lore. Obviously, you go back to 2008. You have Joe Madden's nine equals eight slogan last year. Oh, 1998 is obviously the inaugural season of, of Devil Rays baseball. And then last year, Kevin Cash's 98 mile an hour stable comment after the Yankees game. Uh, so the number 98 is a little special in, in Rays lore. And it would be cool if they ended on 98. Obviously, I'd love to see 101, 102, 103. Uh, but 98 would be cool as well. So I'm going to take a quick break. And after that, we're going to talk about the uh strategy card situation between Kevin Kiermaier and the Toronto Blue Jays. And we're back on Raise Your Voice with Jamal Wilberg here. And, and Jamal, I mean, I thought we were going to get through the rest of the season with no extracurriculars. I thought the focus was going to be all on the play on the field because we're getting really close to October, and that's usually what happens this time of year. However, there was one play at the plate in which Alejandro Kirk uh, tagged a, sli- a sliding Kevin Kiermaier out, but in the process lost his strategy card in his sleeve that had the uh, scouting report or the plan on how to attack every raise hitter on it and it fell in front of Kevin Kiermeyer. Alejandro Kirk walked away. Kevin Kiermeyer grabbed the card and uh, took it. And then the Toronto Blue Jays sent a bat boy. That's how you know it's serious when they send the bat boy over to the Rays clubhouse to uh, try and retrieve it. The Rays uh, respectfully declined um, the proposal and uh, then Kevin Cash, Charlie Montoyo discussed. Charlie Montoyo said it was water or agua under the bridge when clearly it wasn't because in the eighth inning of the series finale in a blowout victory, uh, Ryan Barucki hits Kevin Kiermaier in the back uh, in a guess if you in this or if you're in the uh, school of thought that there is a right way to hit somebody. I, I guess that's it. Um, Kevin Kiermaier has some choice words. I think he said, did that one get away from you? To Ryan Barucki, and then the bench is cleared. Ryan Barucki and Blue Jays pitching coach were ejected. Charlie Montoya and Ryan Barucki were both suspended. And uh, a really interesting way to finish off that series. 
Jamal, I got to ask you, what were your thoughts on, on the situation in general? It was all kind of silly now looking back at it. It was silly. I mean, if if it happens within the diamond, if you drop your strategy card on the playing field, it's there for anyone to pick up. It's not like he left it in the dugout and, and the, someone on the cleaning crew or the race staff find it and take it over to their dugout or that there's any, you know, technology or cameras or trash cans or whatever that's in, involved here. You dropped it on the field and you pick it up. And then what you do with it from that standpoint, I could understand if I was the race where it's like, I'm not giving it back to you. You drop your card, play without it, right? Beat us in this game without it. Go right. ahead, print yourself a new card in the next game, even if you throw it away. I would love to know how that conversation with the bat boy went <laughs> with the race. Like, does he go over and say, yeah, again, you know, excuse me, you know, Mr. Kiermaier, they, they dropped their card and they would like it back. And then does this Kiermaier channel or whoever from the Rays of the Bad Boy talk to uh, channel their inner Debo from the movie Friday when, when he was asking for his bike back and just look at him and say, that's my card, right? I would just love, that's the one piece of the story I would have loved to see is just how did that conversation go down? But no, you drop it on the field and, and you lose it. And then it's just part of it. And I get when people say like, oh, it was a jerk move to to not just, oh, hey, Alejandro, you dropped your card. I, I, I get why people say that. Uh, but also the Rays aren't here to like make friends. They're here to win. And Kevin Kiermaier says that he didn't think it was uh, their card. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, my favorite part of the whole situation, um, Kevin Kiermaier and their, uh, John Boy did a breakdown of this. Uh, and Kevin Kiermaier goes to hand it to Paul, Ho- Paul Hoover, the field coordinator. And he said, just take this, take this. And Paul Hoover, without questioning anything, without opening it up in the dugout, grabs the card, sticks it in his pocket, no questions asked. Uh, so now I know that if I ever have a secret, I'm ever near Paul Hoover, he will, he's my guy. He can, he can keep a secret. He can, no questions asked. We'll do whatever you ask. Love Paul Hoover. Love that. And then Ryan Brucky throwing at Kevin Kiermeyer. And I know we've discussed this on the podcast too. And I know your thoughts. Uh, hitting a player intentionally, I don't think it, there's any place for it in the game. And the only time where maybe it's okay is if, and I, I really hate saying this too, but like if a player goes like spikes up into the, your shortstop and genuine, like genuinely tries to injure someone, a re- retaliation there, while I might not agree with it, while I might not condone it, I understand it. This was not a, an instance of violence. And while Barucki did just hit him in the back, he didn't throw at his head. I don't know. You crack a rib, you, you hit a pinky wrong, and then all of a sudden Kevin Kiermaier is out for three weeks the rest of the season. That's just not something that should be happening this late in the season or really any point in the season. Yeah, and, and I'd say I probably feel differently about it in the National League because if you plunk somebody, you at some point have to go stand in that batter's box too. And that's where I think that when you've got a designated hitter, it just feels like a like a punk move where you never yeah. have to worry about that happening to you. And I think, you know, instead of just – uh, tossing that pitcher when they do that an intentional hit, you know, take the DH away and make the rest of your pitching staff, the rest of your bullpen have to go stand in that DH slot. And then, you know, tremble a little bit on if something's coming back their way, because otherwise now Ben, both sides are warned. Anyone else that does, it's going to get tossed. And again, you don't ever have to face that true accountability, which to me is that this might happen to you. There's consequence free from a physical standpoint uh, to a pitcher that does that, which is just uh, a soft move. And I know Ryan Barucki was getting a lot of fist bumps on his way back to the clubhouse, but I don't know from the Blue Jays like lineup. I don't know how many friends he's making there. It was a, a blowout game. At that point, the Rays had pretty much locked up the division. 
there's a couple guys on this roster that you, the Rays can afford to have suspended for a, you know a week. And there's a lot of hitters in that Blue Jays lineup that you know are, play a huge role, including an AL MVP candidate. Like I don't know if those Blue Jays hitters wanted to go into that last inning worried that they might be getting a fastball anywhere near them. Um, so I don't know. An, an interesting thing. I I I I think it was very strange and a little uncalled for that. Cash and Montoya discussed it. I'm assuming the conversation went something like, okay, this is silly. We both have a lot to play for right now. Let's not do anything stupid. And I do not believe that Charlie Montoya instructed Ryan Baraki to hit anybody. But still, you're the captain of the ship. That cannot happen. He was rightfully suspended and Baraki as well. The funniest part, though, is their pitching coach, and I, I don't know his name, uh, but trying to do his best George Brett impression. Uh, nobody else was mad. Ryan Barucki knew he was going to be ejected. Kevin Kiermaier didn't. He was a little annoyed, but he maybe saw it coming. Nobody wanted to fight. Nobody wanted to get, get mad in this situation, except for this Blue Jays pitching coach. And maybe it was his way of trying to show that he has his team's back, uh, but he ended up just looking looking like an idiot. He did. And I think, again, normally I call baseball brawls aggressive posturing because it's just not even like the hold me back, bro. It's just a bunch of people running out to stand around and delay the game even more. But yeah, for some reason, he was just mad at him getting tossed, maybe because there wasn't warnings and he just maybe felt like it just wasn't the right piece. But yeah, just it was a silly move in a game that your team needed to win and just should have moved on from it. And, and I'll end with this. I think my favorite part about it was that the only reason the, the Blue Jays had a chance to hit Kevin Kiermaier is because they were losing so badly in that game. Uh, and the Rays end up taking that series and end up you know, clinching the division a couple days later. Uh, so we'll move on from that. It's all Agua under the bridge now. At least I hope so. And uh, we'll talk about some other news that came out this week and that was not necessarily baseball related. Um, Matt Silverman went on Neil Solon, friend of the pod, Neil Solon's podcast this week in race baseball, did an interview. It's not uncommon for him or other team officials to go on this podcast. Neil does a great job, uh, but, you know, had a great interview. And then all of a sudden towards the end, uh, says, oh, wait, there's going to be this little sign that we're unveiling at Tropicana Field uh, to help promote our sister city plan uh, with the Tampa Bay area and Montreal. Mark Topkin wrote about it in the Tampa Bay Times. And uh, I'm going to kind of go through and, and we're going to give our thoughts. We're going to raise our voices here on this topic. Uh, but I'm going to go through and read a couple of the quotes. Actually, I'll save that. We'll, re- we'll go through some of the quotes from the, the, the uh, interview in a little bit. Jamal, instant reaction when you heard this news and in, in, in kind of what, what, your, what were your thoughts? So, Brett, I heard it live on the radio driving to the game with a magic magic number of two to win the division super pumped super excited and then we the whole interviews all of them were going great get to that one and then we start getting to those those lines and then it was just a buzzkill now i get it it's being you know, a recording and, and and it being shared and aired on the it might not be the same day and the timing might not just be off for a weekly podcast, but it just, it really deflated what it meant to go watch what it feels to be an upcoming AL East champion team, prepare for the postseason, and just look at what this team has done. And, and I know we'll go through some of the quotes, but one of the pieces that uh, one, Neil didn't ask the question. It was voluntarily shared um, at, on, on the podcast. And then, the idea was that it was going to be something that would subtly show what the team was feeling, but none of the reaction was subtle. <laughs> Clearly, this is this is not something that's going to go undiscussed or un, untalked about. So, yeah, it was uh, 
it didn't make for a good finish to the car ride to the stadium and certainly created some distraction during the game until I could just decide that wasn't going to worry about it and was going to cheer the team on. The, the timing of it, whether the interview, yeah, it's unfortunate timing an hour before a big game, definitely unfortunate. Uh, but the, the timing from, from the front office's point of view and the ownership's point of view is, is definitely intentional. Uh, they plan yeah. on unveiling this uh, sign at the ALDS game one, which will be hosted at home. And uh, the, the thing is, is we know this is going on in the background. We've, we've talked about it on this podcast, even though I try to avoid it as much as I can because I want the focus of this show to be on baseball. Uh, but now they're taking this stuff that's supposedly happening behind the scenes and they're, it's encroaching on the baseball that's being played, the great baseball that's being played by this race team. You can have your opinion on the Sister City plan. We knew there was going to be a lot of ugliness in this search for a new stadium or a new home. But the, this, this timing here, it's not only a slap in the face to the fan base, to the employees of the team, uh, but the players who are employees, the players, the players' families, uh, and, and it's really, really poor timing. And one of the quotes that I have pulled up um, is, let me pull it up really quickly. Uh, there's been an, this is from Matt Silverman, quote, there's been an encouraging shift among our fans and community and a real openness about the plan, end quote. I would like to see where they're getting that there's been a shift among the fan base. Maybe they did a focus group. I don't know. But I'd like to see the evidence. I know there's been some community shift and some shift from local government because a lot of that's just politicking, saying what you can say. They know more than we do. I would love to see the, that shift in the fan base, where they believe that's coming from. Uh, because, I mean, like, I haven't, like, there's been a couple fans that are like, okay. And I understand. I've even reached the point where in a few years, and I don't want to focus too much on it now or dwell on it too much now, but if that's what happens and that's what it takes to keep the Rays, hopefully they're still called the Rays, um, in this area, it's better than losing the team outright. That's what I'll say about that. But, I, I mean, Jamal, have you seen a shift among the fan base? I have not seen, heard, nor felt a shift among the fan base. And if anyone listening to this podcast is part of that shift among the fan base, tweet me at Jay Wilbur. I'd like to know whether or not you exist because the sample size that I've seen of fans that have had a shift is zero. I've seen other people that are not fans and other things like that have it, but true folks that are fans that are emotionally impacted by the success or, uh, of the team, I've not seen that at all. The other thing I want to say, this isn't a direct quote, but Topkin in this article wrote, Team President Matt Silverman revealed the plans in an interview on This Week in Race Baseball radio show that aired Saturday afternoon. He said later that they want to wait to unveil the sign at the first playoff game. Now, I don't know if that means when fans walk in the gates, the sign will be there. But what that sounds like, and I haven't seen the direct quote, unveiling sounds like what you do with like a playoff banner or a number being retired. If they actually plan to unveil this like some big ceremony, I mean, they can't believe that, that that's going to be met with 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 roaring applause. No, no, uh, it, it 
people might have to use that text number you do for unruly fans to have uh, a yeah. fan host come talk to them because it'll probably be met with expletives. When I was putting up the fan reaction story on, on D-Race Bay, I had siphoned through a bunch of tweets that had language I didn't want to include in there because that was what a lot of the reaction was. So yes, if it is something like raising a championship banner and you're unveiling this, and I think that the word that he used was graphic. I know we, that we've called it a sign, but they call it a graphic uh, if there's some sort of ceremonial unveiling of it, that will not go over well. And also, I think it it's probably in the in their best interest to make sure that it is out of reach of projectiles or of, of any fan to be able to reach it because it's going to be a packed house. It's going to be a postseason game. There's going to be beverages consumed. There are going to be, I, I don't even, there's some fans that probably don't need any uh, help in terms of, of their state of mind to want to vandalize this sign. But I think they have to be very careful here, but I mean, it doesn't, it's not an excuse. It's a, it's a stupid idea. And again, even if you are a, a fan of the Montreal sister city plan, you have to recognize that this this just cannot be a good idea. But Jamal, t- talk to me a little bit more about what, so, what you wrote yeah, on D Race Bay. Yeah, I think two things on that on that thought, real quick, Brett. So just one, I will say it's at least helpful to know prior to attending that this thing will exist, because I I do think as much as everyone's having the reaction to it now, there's you know, about two weeks of time that you can let that just be prepared. Now, when you walk in, you may want to go see this thing you're not happy about just to see it, but it probably could have been worse to have fans pour into the stadium and then see this thing there, uh, whether it's unveiled or just displayed. So at least folks are walking in, having an idea that it's there, but I don't know how as a local fan of the team, someone can be a fan of the sister city plan because yes, you might say that it's not like losing the team overall. You still get what's essentially an extended spring training, but I don't know of a, I really tried to rack my brain around this. Most key moments in this franchise's history would not occur if in this plan, I mean, you get opening day, but beyond opening day, there's not a whole lot of excitement in those first couple of months of the baseball season. When we look back at Matt Garza's no hitter, that happened in in July of the year. When we think about all of the rookies of the year, Cy Young's uh, manager of the year, you know, the season-ending awards that folks are competing for and going up against, that's all end-of-the-year excitement. We think about game 162. We think about clinching. First time the Rays ever clinched the division in their home park and we're talking about the idea that they may never clinch in in their home park again once this plan uh, in Tampa, Tampa Bay at least, you know, if, once this plan takes hold, if it ever does. And all those excitements at the end of the year, even if you do some sort of, you know, co-parenting shift for the postseason, that's what a lot of the fun of baseball is in having a team. So if you don't have the second half, you kind of don't have a team. Yes, all the excitement that we're going to experience this weekend and in the postseason. Yeah, none of that. Our postseason will get half of that every other year that they make the postseason. Uh, it's, again, yes, we can talk about the plan. I have talked about the Sister City idea. But that, still, to to roll out, yeah, and I do agree with you that uh, just having it there game one when people show up, that would be maybe worse. Um, but to, it, it really does. It was like the opposite of a you know Friday afternoon news dump. It was yeah. like putting this news out at the most inopportune time, and 
again, I go back to saying the biggest issue that the ownership in the business side of this front office has is not necessarily their ideas or their plans, but their, their, their PR efforts and how they communicate this with the community, with the fan base, with it's, it's, it's just a shame. And, and ultimately I, I'm, if, if, if anything, I am taking this post. I'm not taking this postseason for granted. I'm going to draw. Maybe I'll get down to St. Pete for a game or two in the postseason, hopefully. Um, and I'm just going to enjoy it because with anything, we don't know how long this will last. And with the front office putting their foot forward, saying this is what we're going to do. Um, yeah, I'm starting to get nervous. Again, we don't know how this is going to play out. It was always going to get uglier before it got better. Um, but I, I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, I think we will. I think you're right. Right? There's, there's still. This is a, an incredible team that's been put together that has. You know, I've heard a lot of people talking about, you know, the window and how open the window is for this team, and and still that there's more to grow. And I think that's just that when I think of the that piece of the the news and this graphic, and the most disappointing thing is this is a very talented team uh, with a lot of young players that you're probably going to have them have to answer questions about something that they'd rather not talk about uh, as they lead up to, to probably, you know, having a good chance at winning a world series and why just, you know, why you would want to put that distraction on uh, those players or on the fans that are there today. I mean, and certainly nothing that this organization does is unintentional. Uh, right. it, it may be tone deaf, but it's not unintentional. So there's absolutely uh, intent to the move and, and probably some that's that's not being said. And, and again, they don't have to say everything. It's it's a it's a business and you run it that way. But certainly that's just the, the piece that came away from it is just how folks just felt uh, hearing that and seeing that uh, just ill-timed, tone-deaf, you know, however you want to put it that way. But again, if those fans exist, and and I've just never heard of you, met you, seen you, anything like that, we'd love to know that it's not a unicorn. Luckily, I think what the team has done, what they did this weekend, and the celebration surrounding the, the clinching of the division, it did at least initially drown some of this news out because the, the play was so great on the field. It was so great to have Wander Frock go back. And, and and watching those celebrations, which were subdued when they clinched the postseason, which I liked. Winning the division is the goal now. And to watch them ha- go through those celebrations, and hopefully they get a few more of those, was, was really nice to see. And Wander keeping his streak going. Right. You know, He's coming halfway back, to Ted Williams. Ha- yeah, how just you talk about things that are just, you know, you know, buzz kills or emotional downers. Uh, how rough would that have been of him coming back from injury and, and then missing? out on keeping his streak going in that first one back that would have been you know a rough way to see it but keeping it going and then in, in uh you know today's game to finish off with the marlins a great double to start it off you know again just really exciting to watch him and again so many just players to really appreciate having the opportunity to see as the season ends in the postseason that really should be the focus of any race fans besides all of the other uh distraction pieces that can wait yeah, no, very well put, Jamal. And I think that's the last we'll talk about this situation until the rest end of the season, unless there's there's more news and we need to. But I'd like to keep the focus on those players, on this team, and on the, on this really special season, or at least what it has been so far. Jamal, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Brett. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, make sure to head on over to DRaceBay.com to check out all of the great race coverage. 
If you love what we do here on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, make sure to rate and review if your podcast platform allows it. And if you subscribe to our podcast network, every new episode of Raise Your Voice, the hit show, the D-Rays Bay Podcast Special, and Who's On Worst will be downloaded directly to your device. Listen, we're going to be back in the postseason, back in the ALDS. That means instant reaction podcasts after every single postseason game will be happening. And we might even go live for one or two of those games to let you, so we can hear from you guys, talk to you guys, engage with you guys. Um, it's going to be really fun. We have one more week of the regular season, and then on to the postseason we go. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.